NFR Extra follows all your favorite cowboys, interviews legends of rodeo, and talks to the best of country music. Follow Nevada Caldwell, Ryland Bentley, and Steve Godert every week as they delve deep into the stories behind the road to gold in Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo. It's revealing, comedic, and sometimes emotional. Find it on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. NFR Extra. All dirt, all rodeo, all year. I was in Callahan, Florida. It was like 1985, 86, 87. I was, I was green as grass, right? I was somewhere between grass and hay, that's for sure. And uh, a guy walked up to me in a pair of overalls, and he said, you know, Sonny, if I'd have been blind, I'd enjoyed that rodeo tonight. He just walked off. And I, I guess it was the next day when I was driving home, I realized exactly what that, uh, that older gentleman had said to me. And I think that the way I look at things now is when you get a compliment and stuff, you appreciate it all, you're flattered by it all, but there's very few times that you actually hold on to it because, you know, it's, it's dust in the wind, so to speak. But that was one of those that I held on to all these years later because that one had validity to it. That guy wasn't trying to sell me. He wasn't trying to get me to do something for him. Um, it was the genuine article and you can never take the genuine article nfr extra episode 95 nfr announcer roger mooney joins nfr extra to talk about the good the bad and the ugly over the past 365 days the impact on agricultural education with the ffa and some georgia facts it's interesting to see how many of those one-line puns you know i mean listen to the stuff that he's even talking about like i mean it's not just superficial but the sub Q to intermuscular, you know what I mean? Talking, it's like, yeah. what do you mean sub Q? You know, but that's also to the cattle industry side of it to where, you know, that's very common terminology, but for somebody else, like how often do you use like, let's go subcutaneous on this one. Yeah, but that's, I think that's the part about this business that doesn't exist in other, whatever you want to call it, sporting environments, yeah, yeah. entertainment environments where hey, you guys got to be good. Otherwise you have no business being up on that mantle with a microphone in front of you and, you know, spitting out rodeo stuff, whatever, whatever it is. Well, it's just like anything else and how crucial the timing is to where you can miss something a little bit and the end result is a long ways off. Yeah. So when you talk about that, that's the experience that you have. That's the knowledge. That's the watching other people make mistakes, watching your own mistakes be made, learning from those, continuing going. And Roger Mooney, I mean, proven to be one of the best. And I think one of the great things is he was one, you know, he was one of the, the latest announcers to be in Las Vegas and he goes to Texas. So that that says a lot about the, the quality uh, of workmanship that he can bring to entertain rodeo crowds. Yeah, but man, I mean, you, you do this business. I mean, like there's no, um, I'm assuming that there's no rodeo announcer club that you join and you share information because you're all kind of vying for somewhat of the same business a lot of times. I mean, how does that even, how do you guys, you got to build good relationships, right? There's definitely a little bit of what are you doing? What's going on there? You know, I mean, you watch stuff, you watch, you watch what works and then you'll see that emulated. You know, I mean, just like Roger says, I've, you know, you take something from somebody that works and, and you apply it in a different way or a different manner. You see that with rodeo clowns, you see that with team ropers, you see that with tie down ropers, you see that with, uh, you know, just everybody in any sport, you find something that works. And if you're attentive to that, you implement that into your game. Some people are successful in it. Some people are not, you know, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, when 
kind of like what he said is is that just craving to be on the road you know just wanting to be in the truck just wanting to be eating donut going down the road going to the next one you throw a little kid involved you know where you now you got a wife and, and a small family it's like boy the allure of that is dissipated greatly yeah, slightly. I couldn't even imagine, man. I mean, when I hang out with you, we've hung out with Siler and, and other folks. I mean, obviously, we're with, with Tallman and, and um, Paul Hemus and just the, the plethora of people I've been personally got to work with. What I, I start to think of your guys' area of the rodeo business is almost like stand-up comedians, right? Like you have tours, you got things that you got to... There's so much that you have to do with your voice and preparation and and you know, taking on rodeos or your, your dates that you do. I mean, it's almost identical in how you book, book things and the way you get into the business. And also material wise, right? Like you, you, there's certain sticks that someone does that you may like, I like that, but I want to do this with it. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that happens, man. It would have to be how you do that very carefully in the relationship that you're not stealing from people or and it's you guys' business is super unique. Man. Well, I tell you, one of the one of the things that is the greatest learning tool that you can get is the reaction of a live audience. Is you think about something that uh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna get this reaction, and you don't get that reaction. You're like, oh man. But then also you say something that's a positive. You're like, oh, that worked. I'll do that. You know, what I mean, but it's it's you'll get a quick reaction because there's not everybody paying attention all at one time, but there's always somebody paying attention that will give you a response. So that's, you know, when you work with a live audience versus with a canned audience to where you can't edit, you can't go back, you can't cut anything. It's like, well, I didn't mean to say that. It's like, no, you said it though. We all heard it. You said it. Boo, get out of here. Oh my gosh. So, no, and these guys, you know, I mean, hats off to them. There's a lot of really good rodeo announcers going down the road and, uh, you know, a, a professional bull rider announcers that are going down the road as well, that uh, they, they are in it. And that's, you know, where I'm at right now, I'm not in it anywhere near or pursuing it anywhere near like I used to but uh you know the rodeos I have I still enjoy like going to them and uh, and that's the thing is if you have a few rodeos that you go to every single year just like you said about the stand-up comedians if you've got those little catchphrases that you use every single time you're like yeah I feel like this guy said that or you have four performances in a weekend I mean it's easy to get caught in a rut to where that's where you listen to somebody like Roger go back and listen to this when you're going through that thing listen to how many of those little one-liners he had to say about so many different things that as he said he set the hook and what did he say what's going on now he's got you so that's what somebody like that to way the the creative side of how their mind works on that is very impressive because you can't teach that like you said it's not like hey I'm gonna go to a seminar I'm gonna pick up some new stuff or I'm gonna hone in on this it's like nope He's spraying, spraying pastures right now, and he's got the farm to take care of, and he's got all this other sort of stuff. And but you know, his in his mind the whole time, he's got rodeo. Hell yeah! Let's be honest, the rodeo crowd. If this is, we're talking comedy room and things like that, the rodeo crowd, man, it ain't no one tougher. Oh, uh, they're brutal. Yeah. yeah. You got to be on point, man. You got to be on point with your knowledge, yeah. where that fine line of your humor is, and getting in and out, and yeah, not being repetitive. I mean, yeah, not easy. Say the say the wrong thing about the hometown barrel racer or rodeo queen. <laughs> they don't worry about who they'll find you. They will let you know that you. That's awesome. Messed up. Enjoy our conversation with Roger Mooney. We're back, and we don't want you to miss anything. Make NFRExperience.com your link to hear it first. You will get info on NFR events, Vegas concerts, insider tips, and more, all directly to your inbox. Just go to NFRExperience.com, verify your email address, and pick the experiences you want to hear more about. And new this year, we will send you customized announcements and special offers directly to your mobile number now and throughout the NFR. Check out NFRExperience.com for details. Hi, this is Tuff Edelman, four-time world champion bull rider, and you're listening to NFR Extra. 
Since he was big enough to walk, Roger Mooney raised cattle in his hometown of Elijah, Georgia. He still lives on the farm where he comes from seven generations. Roger has, in his own words, always been a cowboy. His career began by accident in 1984 when in college, he stepped in for the scheduled rodeo announcer who had a heart attack. Mooney went from being a contestant to one of the best announcers on the circuit in a short time, announcing accolades that include Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, Calgary Stampede, Dodge National Circuit Finals Rodeo, High School Rodeo Finals, and the Women's Professional Rodeo Association Announcer of the Year. Roger has no plans of slowing down or retiring anytime soon. I will work until the day they plant me, he says. He calls his career a true labor of love. Roger Mooney, welcome back to NFR Extra. How are you doing, my man? If I had it any better, I'd have to pay tax on it. It's good to be back with NFR Extra, all my friends in Vegas and around the world of pro rodeo. Nice. You know, it's been a while. You came on when we first started this bad boy, and and I will confess that I was learning the, the ropes. Uh, my co-host at the time, Bo Gardner, we were learning a lot of things, and I went back listening to that conversation. There was some some pretty cool takes we talked on and we dove into your history and I don't want to go too much of that because I've read a lot of articles and how you got into this business. Um, but I do want to talk about this. Everyone that we've had on here, you know, either during this pandemic or as we head into this post pandemic, everyone has on, on this show has shared some sort of uh, experience and how it was, how they've been impacted in this, this uh, process. What's your take on the good, the bad, and of course, the ugly experience it's been for the rodeo industry the past 365 days? Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? This global pandemic has uh, taken a lot of people out behind the woodshed, if you know what I'm saying. It has been a natural-born spanking. If, uh, if Roger Mooney had to say what's the best part about the pandemic, I would have to say that COVID has allowed me the opportunity to, uh, to really spend some quality time, some QT with my, with my family and, and especially my two children. I'm an old bull. I was already put out in pasture, and then all of a sudden I, I've got two young children. I'm 55 years old, and I've got a 9-year-old, a 10-year-old. And, you know, life was passing me by because I spend, you know, 50 venues a year on the, on the highway. And, uh beating up and down the, the interstates. But with that being said, I had the opportunity to do so many special, so many great things with my kids. Uh, everything from going fishing to going to the baseball park to just really spending some quality time. So that would be the good of COVID in this pandemic. The bad, well, the bad could be as simple as I do 50 rodeos a year, 50 venues a year, uh, 300 days a year on the road. Last year, if you count the Ram National Circuit Finals that moved to Greeley and the Wrangler NFR, I worked 12 or 13 venues instead of 50. This year, I uh, should have already done a little, oh, what, 19? If you already go to May, I think. This year, I've worked three. So, once again, out behind the woodshed, if you're talking about the gross national product of a poor old southern boy that uh, plays rodeo announcer. So, that would be the bad, but the ugly would have to be all the lost lives. All the people that have lost their lives, uh, lost their livelihoods. The things that have happened because of this thing. I, there's people in rodeo, guys. There's people in rodeo that I truly believe they're out of business right now, and they don't know it yet. This thing has a fallout that just continues. It's bottomless. Uh, 
fourth generation Italian families in New York City have lost great grandpa's restaurant because they were closed and when they weren't closed they weren't allowed to have customers and this is happening nationwide as far as as a people and as the rodeo industry as well I mean you're going to go back to rodeos in August and September and we are going to see a lot of those rodeos that are used to having 150 and 200 thousand dollars in sponsors have 40 and 50 mainly because they just can't swing it and some of the businesses they've been doing business with they're not there anymore so COVID has been extra hard on everybody and really tough on the rodeo business as well there has to be like a silver lining though right for some things that we're learning and granted it's not going to happen overnight um some things that we've seen where hell there was coverage of rodeos that during that time when you think about like how what did get cut off, but then when you think about Cowboy Channel, the deal they had with PRCA, and how they were able to come in and cover rodeos, which we weren't seeing before, you know. So while people sitting at home, you could see it. Is there any silver lining that may have happened that will grow over time with the rodeo industry? Well, when you start talking about our business, you know, 100 years plus, the cowboy, the Wild West, the entertainment industry, uh, there's going to be some silver linings, I believe, but I also believe it's going to be a time-honored emblem. We're going to have to earn them because there's a lot of mountains to climb to get out of this, I believe, because uh, this is uh, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. After, after COVID, we've got some fallout. We're going to have to work our way through it, and I think we're going to have to be patient with each other uh, if, if an indoor seat. Uh, and an endorsement package from one of these companies that we do business with as individuals, as rodeo committees. They say, we're going to stay, but we've got to scale back. And I think that we say, thank you. We're not, we're not discontent. We're not unhappy. We say thank you for staying in the game because, quite frankly, for the last 365 days, we've rode the pine. We've been on the bench a lot. So we know that people in business, you know, they're sucking exhaust fumes as well. So this, this is going to be a, a hard climb. It's going to be an upward pull. But I think that, you know, everything that happens to us in life makes us wiser and makes us stronger. So, Roger, before we got on here, you're saying that you were up there spraying one of your pastures. What did you do to compensate for those 45 rodeos that you did not go to last year um, as far as work-wise? Well, I'm very blessed. Uh, we have uh, we have eight farms on the east side of the county I live in, and I live on the original home place that, well, my children mark the seventh generation that have lived there. Um, we have a flea market business. We have rental properties. We have uh, few rental houses and then we have like 150 mama cows and you know when you couldn't buy toilet paper in the store and you couldn't buy hamburger meat when you did it was 18 dollars a pound i don't know who was making that money but i know the beef producer wasn't making that yeah, money no kidding somebody in the middle got fat on that deal yeah but, but with that being said we made an honest uh, a humble living and uh you know i'll go i'll go far enough to say this uh, everybody wants to complain about the government and everything else whether you're a democrat or republican a liberal or conservative what i will say is we live in a country that is good enough that when everybody's having a hard time whether it's a democrat leader or a, a republican leader they have voted let's redistribute some of the tax money we've garnered up gathered up and let's see if we can help our people through this hard time you know you can call it a you know a payment to the every family member in the house or whatever the words you're going to use it but i do believe that i'm so proud that our country stepped in and said we got to do something to bridge the gap till these guys get back on their feet again so i will say that but you know very little when you talk about percentage wise is the money that we got back in some kind of covid payment but we kept our head down we kept pulling and, and you know god willing we, we've been very blessed my family has absolutely man you are listening to nfr extra with our guest roger mooney let's take a quick break 
Looking for tickets to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo? StubHub is the official secondary and fan-to-fan site of the rodeo. Fans can buy and sell their tickets through a safe and secure online marketplace. Visit nfrexperience.com. This is Shane Miner, and you're joining me on NFR Extra. NFR Extra with Roger Mooney. Kids are seventh generation on that deal, and I'm kind of curious mm-hmm. to know how in Georgia you go about getting a Roger Mooney day. <laughs> well, you know, I could say it was an act of Congress. That would kind of be true. But with that being, <laughs> with that being said, uh, you know, that was kind of an accident. Um, John Wilkinson, a, a senator here in Georgia, I've known him since 1983. I was a state officer in FFA, and at that time, he was uh, the executive secretary of vocational agriculture. In other words, he was in charge of the state FFA officers, and it just so happened in 83-84, I state vice president of FFA, and it gave me a really nice foundation from public speaking and how to do different things that I use every day, uh, 37, 38 years later in my pro rodeo business. But... Um, he was uh, in a spot to where I guess he could say, hey, this is a guy that has done pretty well. Uh, he was at the Denver National Western Stock Show and Rodeo with Boyd and myself one night with all the ag leaders from all 50 states. And they actually had their meetings at the National Western, come to the rodeo. He walked up to me with a group. and He said, this is amazing. And he said, you know, I was at Calgary several years, several years ago, and, and you were at Calgary as well. He said, you've done a lot. You put George on the map, and we're going we're, we're gonna, to uh, say thank you to you. And I never really thought anything about it. It just say, hey, it's really good to see you, my friend. Uh, I got a few phone calls, and right in the middle of COVID, they said, you know, uh, the House, the Senate, they're doing different things. They're wearing masks. They're hiding behind walls. They're not letting anybody in the state capitol. From that, they said, we're going to honor you. Come down with your family. Uh, they've done a, a resolution, and, uh, you know, they made it my own little special day. And as special as that was, you know, there's nothing greater than being recognized for a contribution. But it was really cool that I had my kids in the Senate chamber where nobody else went, where laws are passed. They went up to the front of the room, and they banged the gavel on the table, you know. And they had a great time. And I think it's something they'll always remember. No dad will remember it, too. That's awesome. So what do you guys do to celebrate, Roger? many day oh we just stopped at outback steakhouse on the way home we come back we put on our work <laughs> we checked on cows <laughs> <laughs> good living good living yeah, so, good clean living <laughs> yeah but i mean going forward man i mean does everyone dress like roger mooney and they sound like you on that day and they have on the radio stations you know call in and um be roger yeah let me hey, hear let it, wow, wow. In the- you guys are reading way into this too deep. <laughs> I'm celebrating it. I don't live in Georgia, man. <laughs> hey, it, it was uh, it was very special. And, you know, it, I remember years ago, I, I had an old guy walk up to me. Uh, I was in Callahan, Florida. It was like 1985, 86, 87. I was, I was green as grass or I was somewhere between grass and hay, that's for sure. And uh, a guy walked up to me in a pair of overalls and he said, you know, Sonny, if I'd have been blind, I'd enjoyed that rodeo tonight. He just walked off. And I, I guess it was the next day when I was driving home, I realized exactly what that uh, older gentleman had said to me. And I think that the way I look at things now is when you get a compliment and stuff, you appreciate it all, you're flattered by it all, but there's very few times that you actually hold on to it because, you know, it's, it's dust in the wind, so to speak. But that was one of those that I held on to all these years later because that one had validity to it that guy wasn't trying to sell me he wasn't trying to get me to do something for him um it was the genuine article and you can never 
take the genuine article. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of the genuine article with your accolades for um, announcing rodeo, you've been at the NFR both in Vegas and this last year in Texas, and that was a pretty unique situation. What was that like for you? Well, that was a multifaceted deal. Um, you know, first of all, the world of pro rodeo never even knew if we were going to have a national finals. That was first, you know, a culmination of a year's events. We didn't know if it was going to happen with all the different things that was going on. Um, and then whenever they started talking Texas, what they had, uh, less than 100 days, three months to put it on. So, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work it with a guy that's worked at a bunch and a guy that's never been there. So, uh, you know, it put me right in the middle. And uh, me and Bobby Tallman, we talk two or three times a week. He's in the cow business as well. And, you know, my, my children call him Uncle Bob. He's an institution, you know, he is the rock. And in my opinion, he's the measuring stick of all rodeo announcers because he's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, belt buckle, you know. And, and then you had the young gentleman from Florida who I do believe is the second man ever from East Mississippi River to ever announce national finals. No and, uh, yeah, and that would make me the first one. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was uh, what, 2000, 21 years ago that that happened. So it was a pretty long stretch where nobody East Mississippi River ever got the opportunity to, to hold the microphone at the Super Bowl of Sport of Rodeo. But with that in mind, I have worked Vegas. And, you know, in my opinion, Vegas is the home of the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. It has, it has the lights. It has the glitz, the glamour. It has all the infrastructure, the hotels, transportation the restaurants, the after-hours entertainment. Las Vegas is set up for, you know, the event. But that being said, boy, do I think Texas done a great They've done a wonderful job. I don't know if they're magicians, but it was a hat trick how they went in there in less than 100 days. And uh, they pulled it all together. Everybody got paid 100%. You know, we went in knowing that, hey, we could receive COVID pay. They paid 100%. They've done a, just an exquisite job. They were relentless. I mean, their pursuit of excellence, they would not let up. And I'm so proud of what they've done in Texas. And let's face it, it started there in 1959 to get to go to another state uh, to be part of that history, you know, I'll never forget that. I was with my brother Bob Tallman and Andy, and, and I just really, I'm I'm humbled when I even think about it, guys. The thing that I go back to in the contestants and all the people that are part of the production, right? Like they're and you're a big part of that. It must have been a really good feeling on that first night, the smell of the dirt, wherever you are, but that the NFR was happening. I mean, was there a, a kind of a emotional feel to that that point, or were you just you're all business at that point on opening night? Well, I can go back a few, you know, a week before that. We all, you know, the guys on the production team are there several days before it starts. And we went in this place. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, you get on a fishing boat and then you get on an ocean liner. You go into regular size coliseums and then you go into that place that two or three coliseums would fit inside of. I mean, that barn would hold a lot of hay. <laughs> that was a big barn. And uh, this, like you say, the smell, they were, they were putting up the iron. They were bringing in dirt. They were running bulldozers up. Uh, you know, I would send out kudos to Glenn Allen Phillips. I mean, what a job he did. He come in there with, you know, no experience at the national finals rodeo, but that didn't mean he didn't have experience. And I really felt like he'd done just a wonderful job. He pulled the team together. And, and, and like I say, I, I was with Bobby and first time ever with Andy. And it, it, it was, it was a wonderful situation guys. And it was a, uh, you know, a feeling of, uh, I don't know, Fantasia, I guess it, it was a feeling that Holy smokes, it's finally going to happen, and we were fortunate enough to be the three guys, the three huckleberries that got to come in this place and work the greatest rodeo on the planet. Yeah, 
I mean, it was it was a good thing to see, man. I mean, just for all the yeah. things that we were going through at that point. The thing that always fascinates me about the top level of you rodeo announcers, right? And Steve is one of them, right? Andy Siler, who we work with as well, who you talked, the young buck that uh, got to hang out with you at NFR. I, the thing that fascinates me is how your, your one-liners, the creativity that comes with what you're announcing. But for people that don't understand to peel back the layers for you to get to that point in front of that microphone, you got to know stock, competitors. I mean, you got to know the industry. How do you study for your events? Like, what is, what is, what is the Roger Mooney way? And how do you get your content? Is it through, you know, apps? websites i mean how how do you how does your how's your study game go going into rodeos well you know i think everybody has a system you know nick saban in college football calls it his process you know he has a process and obviously whatever the process is is pretty successful for that guy with me I do a lot of extra work because I'm not as smart as some of those other guys. I mean, Boyd Paul Hamus is smart. You know, his he has a, a great recall. He always talks about my memory, but he's got a great recall. Cognitive skills is wonderful. He's just uh, – he's really blessed. Wayne Brooks, he's got – a system to where he just pulls up a couple things on the internet and he can tell you everything he's ever said uh, about Tim Will, uh, Tim O'Connell. You know, I mean, we all have our systems. And for me, what I do is I do the extra work because, I, like I say, I'm not as smart as some of these other guys. Um, I spend a lot of time with uh, the PRCA website, prorodeo.com, uh, if you will. Uh, they do a really good job with bios, updates, how much money this cat's won, how many times he's qualified for the national finals. And between that, you know, you can go to livestock stats for the PRCA. I actually call a lot of stock contractors. The reason I do it is there's so many stories, backstories. Uh, you know, you take High Low Pro Rodeo, one of their most celebrated courses. I mean, it was bottle fed by the by the babies because, you know, it was an orphan. And next thing you know, it's a $50,000 bucking horse. And he's gentle as a dog, but he is a, a storm when you put him inside the bucking chutes. And you don't get that by looking at stats. You get that from, you know, listening to stories. And so I talk to a lot of contestants before we ride each night. I say, hey, what'd you get done last week? Well, I went to three and I hit it two, you know? And a lot of stories behind the stories that'll never show up on a website or the, uh, you know, pro rodeo uh, rankings of any kind. You put that with the homework that you've already got done. You talk to stock contractors. And it gives you a little better rounded out story to tell during that three hours. I mean, you've been around. So you, I would assume that, the ability to grab information now, even unique stuff, you, know, you go back to the hell, the nineties, you're not able to even access half the information you're able to get today. Well, I mean, yeah, it only goes back so far. I mean, world titleist, you can go back to Jim's shoulders if you want to, but I mean, there's a lot of information that you just don't get unless you get that backstory, unless you, you know, got the individual, you know, like I mentioned Tim O'Connell, Tim O'Connell, uh, seven trips to national finals, three world titles. Uh, some of the things that you don't get is, you know, when he was three weeks old, his mother wrapped him up in a blanket and handed it to me. You know, I, I held him when he was a baby. <laughs> I played with him when he was a kid. And, you know, there's things like that. I mean, and, and then add in something that maybe you knew if you asked a question. For example, in 2020, uh, Tim entered 42 rodeos, usually a man that goes to 100. He uh, entered 42 rodeos. He won money at 38 of them. That's 900 baseball. Babe Ruth never hit the ball like that. And it's stories like that that you get sometimes by reading, but most of the time you got to go a little deeper. It's, 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 it's not a sub-Q shot. It is definitely in the muscle. You've got to go deeper 
if you want to go to the muscle. This is NFR Extra, and our guest today, NFR announcer Roger Mooney. We'll be right back after the break. NFR Extra follows Cowboys, talks to legends and country stars, and finds the stories that make up the season that leads to the annual showdown in December. Follow me, Nevada Caldwell, Brylan Bentley, and Steve Goder as we delve deep into the stories in and behind the road to gold. Listen to NFR Extra on Rural Radio, Channel 147 on Sirius XM every Monday at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern, with a re-air Tuesday in the same time slot. NFR Extra, all dirt, all rodeo, all year. Hi, I'm Tyler Pearson, world champion steer wrestler, and you're listening to NFR Extra. NFR announcer Roger Mooney here on NFR Extra. Use the example, and you know there may be people that don't like the Dallas Cowboys and definitely don't like Tony Romo, but what he's done for football and shown people a different way to um, paint a picture, what's happening on the on the field. It's no different what you guys do from where you're at and what you're doing for people. There could be new people in the stands that, man, Roger, they can't figure this out. Like, <laughs> there's so many aspects to rodeo and, you know, the ability for you. That's where you guys have that opportunity going back to, you know, you, you take those words and when someone, you know, appreciates what you do. That's why, I mean, you guys are key components of the rodeo business. Well, you got to educate, inform, and entertain. I mean, I, I tell everybody, especially on this side of the Mississippi River, we are not just in the rodeo business. We're not in the cowboy business. We're in the entertainment business. We are. When we go to civic centers and coliseums, they could have went to Disney on ice instead. They could have went to the concert. They could have went to the ballet. Uh, they could go to a dinner theater, or they could just go to the movie theater. They chose us, so they are. You know, they're allowing us a portion of their entertainment dollars. That puts us in the entertainment business that we vibe for. Uh, you know, when I do the Saints World's Toughest Rodeos uh, out here on this part of the world during the winter months, I mean, we compete with other people from Disney on ice to the World Wrestling Federation. I mean, we compete uh, with monster trucks. They're coming to those buildings for entertainment. It's snowy and cold outside. We're bringing them inside, feeling warm and fuzzy. We light them up. We leave them smoking. We're in the entertainment business. And um, But, yeah, you don't have to be a the quintessential rodeo fan to be truly entertained by the sport of rodeo. That's like the old boy there in the uh, coveralls that was telling you even if he was blind, he would have enjoyed that. I mean, that that's like, I think, probably the coolest compliment that you could get for anything. But one of the things Absolutely. that I find – that, that I find interesting about rodeo that's different in, in most every other aspect is that rodeo, you have a, such a small window of time to inform and build up whoever is getting ready to run or ride or rope or whatever that is versus, you know, like football, you've, you've got players on the field for a long time and you can talk about what they did, you know, the last down, you know, baseball, the last inning, however you want to compare that. So it's like, you got Timmy O'Connell. It's hard to take that 90 seconds of his lifetime achievement. So, I mean, when you can do that, that's definitely a skill set that is, you know, reaching down. And like you said, going into the muscle on that, that's a skill that, that can't be taught. Well, it's all timing. I mean, you think about any joke you hear uh, on television, anything that you do, that's successful. It's all about timing. You get to an intersection too quick or too late, somebody hits you. <laughs> you know, so everything in life is timing. And when you look at the bucket juice, you say, okay, the guy's just you know getting the bind in his hand. I've got forty-five seconds, or he's already sliding up and he's looking for the gate yeah. man that latch, and you've got seven seconds. So mm-hmm. what you do, it's all a, a balancing act. It's all about timing. It's it's you know get the most out of that cow every time you go to milk. You know, yeah. Yeah. 
and I'm different, guys. I'm so different. Everybody used to make fun of me all the time because, Rod, you tell these wild stories, and, you know, you say all this crazy. And Donnie Gay, you say, why do you say all that crazy stuff? And, and, you know, I always looked at it as a country music song. You know, all my all my exes live in Texas. All my exes wear Rolexes. You know, you say hooks. You set hooks, and what that does is it allows them to stay with you, and they'll hear what you're saying until they say, hey, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And you give those things to keep them listening to you. You know, yeah. it's just the things that keep them engaged, keep them in the game. Totally agree. Yeah, that's awesome. With with everything that you've done, with the agriculture side of things, the rodeo side of things, being an entertainer, and I mean, I don't know you very well. I've been around you, and you, you're definitely a presence to be around. But I've got to know one thing that if if excluding your family, excluding family, what is the one thing that Roger Mooney cannot live without? Well, you know, I, I love the sport of rodeo, and I love my job. I love what I do. Uh, I, I don't love the road like I used to when I was a young man. I loved it all. I don't love the road. I don't love the airports, uh, the, the hotels and stuff like that. You know, your high school girlfriend would say, you know, I'm lo- I love you. I'm just not in love with you. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm not in love with all of it anymore, but I still yeah. love it all. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a labor of love. But with that being said, I would probably say if it wasn't for my wife and children, you know, I would probably say it would have to be my home and the farm that, you know, we've had ever since my people come from Europe. And, you know, unfortunately, the Cherokee Indians, you know, they lost that land and we've been on it ever since. And, and uh, you know, as terrible as that is, I think I tell my kids all the time, there's so many lessons that you can learn from history because if you don't it'll repeat itself and, Absolutely. and i think it's a lesson that i think it's a lesson that today every american all 325 million should keep in mind and that is when you're not strong enough to keep it somebody will take it away from you. yes and whether, whether that's what we own as a country as a people uh whether that's your home or, or however you want to look at it i just think that you know if you're if you're strong strong in hand strong in back strong in mind well you don't have to fight if you're strong, because if you're strong, everybody knows it. If you're talented, you like you two guys, everybody knows you're talented. There's a reason that people say, how do you get that job? Well, I can tell you, he deserved it. (laughs) If you're, if you're the stuff, if you're the genuine article, you don't have to make excuses because people already know it. Pressure is a privilege. And I believe that iron sharpens iron. Yes. But with that in mind, I still say it has to be my home, my farm, my family. I mean, it's where I was born. It's where I'm going to finish my life. And I hope that my children will learn to love it like me, to cherish it, be a good steward of the land, and, and pass it on to the next generation. And, and they have the promise and the gift that I had, that my dad had, that my granddad had. That deal, the steward of the land, man, that's that's something that just I think that if we spent more time educating people, you know, as a whole of what production agriculture and what, you know, renewable resources are is that would be extraordinarily beneficial for the the generations coming right now. This is the only sandbox we have. I mean, we better take care of it. We better take care of the air we breathe. We better take care of the water we drink. Uh, people say, well, you're in the cattle business. And no, really, I'm in the grass growing business. <laughs> I turn grass into feed. So I grow grass, but at the same time, we use those genetics, those uh, you know predictable genetics. We put them on this grass, and it's six months old. They weigh 600 pounds, and we, we send them on to take care of people. I mean, we mentioned a little while ago about uh, the Senate and, and – uh, that resolution that, that really honored me and my family in this business. When the 
senator come and visited with my my kids. Uh, my boy's 10 years old. He was nine at the time. And he said, uh, well, t- so tell me, Cash, how do you feel about being in the cattle business when cows aren't bringing what they should? He asked a nine-year-old boy this. And my boy looked at me and smiled. He looked back at that guy and he said, raising food for your fellow man's a noble thing to do. And he was just dumbfounded. And the senator said, maybe we should run you for office. <laughs> no joke. That's impressive. He's at nine years of age. And I knew right then the boy had listened to me because those, that's yeah. the quote. Raising food for your fellow man is a noble thing to do. It sure isn't going to make you rich, but it sure is prideful. You take care of the land, and it's a noble thing to do to feed your fellow man. Yeah, when you got kids dropping knowledge on you like that, man, that's that's uh, leaves you speechless, right? Yeah, it was, it was a prideful moment. I, I might have took as much pride in that as just to actually even be in there because, like I said, all those <laughs> hours you send spend with your children i knew then they had paid off yeah i knew then i mean if you, if you can give a child the world and if he doesn't have the management or she doesn't have the know-how she won't hold on to it um so i mean it's our job to get the next generation ready so you know you said family is excluded and it's hard for me to exclude my family yeah. from where i live because that is my home my home is not a, a house and sticks and bricks a home is what's inside yeah Hey, you got to do that, right? Otherwise you go to the easy, my family. Well, you yeah. worked your way around that. So, which is even better. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he took that and dropped us on our heads with that one. I was like, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, no prepared speech. It was just, you know, one yeah. of those deals to where you can truly appreciate what's real in life. And like I say, anything that you do in life, your work, your diligence and labor, uh, whatever pursuits you take in life, I mean, I really believe that iron sharpens iron. I believe that if I ever get the opportunity to work with Steve Goat at a rodeo, I feel like that there'll be something he does that I can learn from. He can teach me something, you know, and, and I feel like that you can learn from anybody. Yeah, I've been working with Steve for a year now, man, and I've learned all kinds of stuff. So you're, that's a true exactly. statement. Yeah. And, and, and it, would, it would take a, the village fool to believe that somebody has arrived to a point where you couldn't learn from somebody, you know, that's pretty short-sighted. And so, yeah, I, I, I would love to work with Steve. I said, I'm going to, I want to find something in his wheelhouse and I'm going to put it in mine and it'll be part of my arsenal. I mean, I've never tried to copy anybody, but I've seen things that work. And, mm. you know, my grandpa always used to say, you know, a smart man learns from his mistakes. A genius learns from somebody else's because they don't cost you anything. And rodeo, I think a lot of it, is you don't learn what to do, you learn what not to do. You are listening to NFR Extra with our guest today, NFR announcer Roger Mooney. We'll finish our conversation after we return from the break. In Las Vegas, December becomes Cowboy Town. The Wrangler National Finals Rodeo is the prize for the top contestants in the world seeking a share of the $10 million purse and the coveted gold buckle. For the fans, Las Vegas transforms into the greatest Western party in the world with the NFR experience featuring Cowboy Christmas, the Junior World Finals, nonstop entertainment, custom viewing parties, and so much more. Follow all the action at NFRexperience.com. There is only one NFR. There is only one Vegas. Hey everybody, this is Aaron Watson, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Roger Mooney is here on NFR Extra. 
back real quick, Roger. Um, you know, you talk about the impact that FFA had and essentially, I mean, kind of the foundation and the base work for leading you to be mm-hmm. in, in the announcing side. Are your are your kids involved in FFA right now? You know, it's funny you say that. My my daughter two years ago, she said, Daddy, I mean, she's a little daddy, I wish you a pig. <laughs> and I said, You do. And so cash popped up and said, Yeah, I believe I do too. They weren't old enough to be in four H or FFA. And so I called down where I'm a life member. And, you know, I've been honored a lot in the local and the state FFA organizations and the FFA advisor here says, if your kids want to show animals and get started early, we will make sure and facilitate that need. So I said, great. So I went back to my children. And I said, listen, I'm not going to go buy you a show pig. I'm going to buy you a few sows. You're going to raise your own show pigs. You're going to do it from the base up, from the foundation up. In short, they sold about $9,000 worth of show pigs last fall for themselves and raised their own pigs. Nice. So you know, I didn't, I didn't give them a fish. I'm trying to teach them how to fish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the FFA, when I was in eighth grade, I couldn't give a book report without getting sick. I mean, it would make me, it, it would make me throw up. It was, it was awful. And four years later, I was public speaking champ. I was state vice president in the FFA. It done so many great things for me. And for the last 20 uh, something years, I'm the rodeo announcer, the bull ride announcer, the bulls and bronx announcer at the National FFA Convention every year. Wow. And one of the the things they asked me, ever since I left Kansas City, I've been to the National FFA Convention every year since then. Except for last year, of course, during COVID. You know, they they always say, hey, Roger, please tell the story. Please tell the story of that eighth grade kid. And sometime during the deal, I mean, just between sections of of the rodeo or between sections of bull ride, and, you know, they pull the lights down. It's just me and, you know. 12,000 kids in the building, and I tell a story about a guy that couldn't give a book report in front of 30 of his peers. And then, you know, here I am years and years later making a living, doing, you know, television work, radio work, podcast work, and, and uh, you know, getting the, going from 300 sets of audiences a year, you know, it's because of FFA. Yeah, that that's really impressive. The FFA thing is, uh, I think that that's, again, something that, that, is good for everybody to have an, a good understanding of where food comes from. And, and not only that, but I mean, they have the archery, the horse shows, they have all kinds of stuff. So yeah, that's awesome. Your kids are in it. Yeah. I feel like that and, unless my numbers are off here, and my memory could be cloudy. It is the largest youth organization in the United States by membership. The, F, the vocational agriculture and FFA, I mean, they have upwards of a million, maybe more. And uh, you know, if you want to see a good slice of American pie, you want to see what the future looks like? And I'm not talking about the 10 o'clock news and how many people got shot today in some town. You want to see what the future looks like and it be a good thing. Go to the National FFA Convention. Look at those 8, 9, 10, 11, 12th graders that are out there representing their chapters and their states. That is the future of this country. Business leaders, farmers, merchants, landowners, employers. Uh, that is the crust, the very top of what we've got in the future. In my opinion, we couldn't do it without these FFA advisors. I'll, I'll throw them a bone. I mean, I had two of the greatest FFA advisors. John Barnes was uh, was my favorite teacher in the world. Nobody gave me more paddlings than him. He whipped me like a rented mule. I mean, <laughs> he whipped me all the time. And I loved him for it because I deserved every one of them. I was always entertaining, popping jokes, making people laugh. I got spanked for it, I guess. And then he would throw me the keys to his truck and say, listen, go get that Duroc board and carry it over to such and such because uh, he needs a litter of pigs in about four months. You know, he, he gave me the tool that we're talking about all these years later in the sport of rodeo. Uh, 
I, I tell this story a lot. I think you guys enjoy it. I was, there were four individuals in the cab of his truck. There were nine boys in the back of the truck under a camper shell. We had a 16-foot bumper pull trailer so full of pigs, it looked like a can of Spam. And we were heading down the highway. We went through downtown Atlanta traffic. We were 15 minutes from the state fairgrounds in Macon, Georgia, going to the pig show. And Mr. Barnes, my ag teacher, looked over at me and said, hey, Roger, you do have your driver's license with you, don't you? I said, well, no, Mr. Barnes, I'm not but 14 years old. He said, I seen you come around the square in downtown LJ, Georgia the other day in an 18-wheeler loaded with hay. I said, that's true, <laughs> but I'm still only 14 years old. And he said, you're doing good, son. Pull over to the next exit. And he drove the last 15 minutes. <laughs> true story. But that was the way it was here where I'm from. And, and you know, I, maybe it gave me a head start on some. I don't know. But whatever it was, the FFA advisors, they have a, they have a very special spot in my heart. Yeah, no, that's uh, cool that you're giving back too, man. Before we wrap up, uh, Mr. Mooney, let's let's test, since you do have a day named after you in Georgia, let's test your <laughs> your Georgia facts. I got five, well, you're going to have to tell us which one is true or false. Okay. The largest wild hog found ever discovered was found and killed in Alapaha, Georgia. True or false? Be a Lapaha. A Lapaha. Mm. Nice. Alapaha. He's already one up and he's already one up on you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell her what he won, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> so true or false? True. True. Weighing in at one thousand pounds and measuring at twelve feet in length, the creature was nicknamed Hogzilla. That's a big that? See, I, I made a fifty fifty guess, but I know Alapaha. Is like really swampy, and it feeds into Waycross, Georgia, where the Okefenokee Swamp is. So I figured, face wild hogs, it's got to be in a lap Yeah, man, thousand pounds, dude. That's next one. Approximately four thousand people come to again. I'm gonna murder these names. Tallapoosa, Georgia, every year to see. Yeah. Is that right? Did yeah, I get good. it? Nice. You got well. So they come every year to see a taxidermy opossum dropped on New Year's Eve. True or false? I'm going to have to say false on that one. Man, it's true. Each year since the early 2000s, a stuffed opossum named Spencer has been lowered from one of city's one of the city's oldest buildings in a Christmas lights covered ball at midnight. The annual possum drop, as it's called, is rounded out. Uh, you know, I've lived here my whole life. I've never, I've never heard of that. But you know, you threw me a little bit because the second time you said that, you said he was taxidermy. See, I always felt like you couldn't mistreat a poor possum. So <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> Man, so I'm yeah, apparently it's, baseball. it's the crowning of, a, of the possum king and queen. So, man, it sounds like a crazy little wild event there. Yeah, I'd like I to mean, see what I'm they look like. I'm going to go to Tallapoosa. That's, that's over on the Alabama side. It's on the, in western Georgia. Oh, nice. man. that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> Number three, lakes are, natural, are naturally made in Georgia. Lakes are naturally made in yeah. Georgia. Yep. We have both kinds. We have natural lakes and man-made lakes in Georgia. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So mostly, actually, although there are some natural ones near the coast, most of the lakes in Georgia are man-made. Yep, Blue Ridge, Altoona, Carter's Lake, man-made. And most of those, I believe, were made by the TVA, which is Tennessee Valley Authority, to harness and make electricity. Oh, nice. Did not know that. That's why we do this. Yeah. Number four, there is only one county in Georgia named after a woman. Wow. Wow. Okay, I, I, I'm 
Careful. I can see, uh, yeah, I can see this not being a PC answer, no matter what I do. Uh, <laughs> you got to be PC nowadays. Um, man, this is ugly. I'm going to say true. This is true. Man, there's only one oh. out of 159. Uh, Nazi 159 counties. Yeah, Nancy Hart, a Revolutionary War rebel, received the honor of having Hart County named after her. The That's county seat is Hart Wobble. Yeah. <laughs> what about that was a, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I might have got it right. That was a lucky guess. 50-50, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? 50-50. All right, this last one. And by the way, it's fun looking at this stuff, man. You just don't know how bizarre some places are. And I'm sure every state has millions of these bizarre little things. But in the chicken capital of the world, Gainesville, Georgia, it is illegal to eat chicken with a fork. <laughs> okay, Hall County is Gainesville, Georgia. It's 30 miles from where I live. Um, well, when you say illegal, are we talking about it's actually in the law books? Yes, but I think it, yeah, yes. Okay, so we all know that people use forks, but I'll tell you what I think this is. I'm going to say that law is true because it was made a long time ago and it's never been taken off the books. Yes, so mm. uh, true. In 1961, Gainesville, Georgia passed a measure making it illegal to eat fried chicken with anything other than your hands. It was publicly, it was a public stunt. Uh, for the city is the poultry capital of the world. So it was a market. So I got game. four out of five, right? Yes, correct. <laughs> Pretty solid. Hey, you boys owe me steak supper when I get out there. <laughs> Done. Sounds good to me. No problem. That's yeah. The, the, the four. We'll allow that. <laughs> I mean, eating fried oh, was... chicken with other than your hands. That's that's a legitimate law. I mean, you shouldn't shouldn't eat a fork. Hundred percent. Yeah, you know, even Colonel Sanders would go for that one. Yes, no doubt. Oh, Juice man. and grease and barbecue sauce all over you. It's the way you're supposed to eat it, right? So Exactly. If you ain't dirty, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Mooney, man, this was fantastic, man. Thank you for uh, taking the time. I uh, It's good to hear everything, hear your voice. This is a great conversation. I, I hope everything works out as we go through the summer. Hopefully you end up somehow compiling more rodeos than you ever thought you'd be doing, just by the way the pandemic has seemed to be hopefully uh, getting behind us right now. And um, God bless, man. Thank you for coming on. Well, like I said earlier, the genuine article, that's one thing you can't fake. As long as you're who you are and you go with it, I think everything else works out. Yeah. And uh, you, hey, man, I just learned some other little things about Georgia that I didn't know. So it's cool. Uh, you taught me a couple things today I didn't know. <laughs> hey, guys, thanks for having me on. I, I love what Las Vegas does for the sport of rodeo, the home of the National Finals Rodeo. And I love what you guys are doing. Every day you're talking the the – the sport, the industry that we love, the Western way of life to people that tune in. And I, I say thanks for having me on. Thank you. See you guys. Appreciate right, you, Roger. Thank you. We want to thank Roger Mooney for visiting us on NFR Extra. Want to experience more of NFR? Then visit NFRExperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a big five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. NFR Extra. All dirt. All rodeo. All year. Gotta make it out to Vegas, where the big boys roam. With the rovers and the racers and the bulls and the browns. And the ladies in the skin-tight ringers and the cowboys.